Let's pray together. Lord, thank you this morning. We pray that you would help us to stay awake today, that you would clear out the clouds and stuffiness that are in our hearts and our minds, that you would clear the very atmosphere of this room, that, Lord, you would allow us to hear, that you would allow us to engage. Lord, however we find ourselves dragging in this morning, with whatever pains we bring, with whatever sin clings to us, we pray, come Lord Jesus. We ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Today, as you saw, as we began lighting that first candle, we begin the season of Advent, a time of preparation. Advent is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. We look in the lessons and scriptures throughout this season for the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. We prepare in anticipation that he will, as the scripture has said, come again one day in great glory and in great power on the clouds. He will not be missed. And therefore, in this season, we stay awake. We wake ourselves up and the scriptures are there to help us in this season. We also prepare for Christmas as we celebrate his first coming, this God of the universe, the God of angel armies, humbling himself and becoming a babe, lying in a manger. And of course, we also prepare not just for what comes, not just to celebrate what was, but to engage him now, the God who comes now, the God who invites us to prepare our hearts now that he might come into our lives this day and in the days to come. Every so often, I will do an internet search just to see how many wars are going on in the world at any given time. I know that sounds morbid, but I'm a preacher, and sometimes we do such things. Because I'm I'm always amazed at how positive so many people are about our our capacity as humans. Just search at any given time, any given year, how many wars are going on in that particular year, and you'll be probably fairly surprised. This year, in 2022, there are 22 wars or conflicts that involve more than a 1,000 deaths. And of course, we know that the one that has the largest amount of deaths right now is the war in Ukraine. It is capturing the internet, although a lot of people are bored with it and moving on to other graphic things to stare at. There are 39 conflicts in other countries involving militias, involving separatist groups. Those would be with deaths of a thousand or less. And over the past 5,000 years, there have been at least 15,000 conflicts, wars between nations, and those are just the ones we know about. I wonder how many have existed between clans and in regions that nobody ever knew except for those very people in those places When you think about that, and then you also take into account the emergence of economic, technological, political warfare, energy warfare, we're seeing that go on right now, biological warfare, and of course the ever-present threat of nuclear warfare, it is very clear that we humans, despite what we believe about ourselves, are not very good at living in peace with one another. We are just not very good at it. 
course, conflict doesn't occur far away alone at the level of nations. There's plenty of conflict in our, in our communities. You think in recent years of all the school shootings. We think about all the gun violence that's gone on. And then, of course, there is the conflict that goes on in our personal lives as well. Conflict in marriage. Anybody got conflict in your marriage? You don't have to put your hand up this morning. <laughs> conflict in our families. How did Thanksgiving go for you? You don't have to put your hands up. It went great for some, not so great for others, because there were people involved. Conflict in our jobs, conflict in our neighborhoods, conflict with our friends, conflict in our schools, even sometimes conflict in our churches. And the result of all this conflict is divided homes, conflicted lives, offended people, broken marriages, discarded friendships, broken partnerships, dismantled businesses. We end up with damaged souls and damaged lives. And what we really need is peace. We desperately, desperately need peace. And that's what the prophet Isaiah said would come in that reading that we had from Isaiah chapter 2. Now, when he spoke those words given by God, it was not at a time of peace. In fact, the time at which Isaiah gave this prophecy was at a time of total chaos and total conflict, round about the year 700 B.C. The nation of Israel had divided at that point. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom has already been overrun by the Assyrians, and the people have either been killed or taken off into slavery. The Assyrians basically left the dregs of society, at least those in their minds who were the lowest, the half-breeds, the ne'er-do-wells. Judah is preparing for war, and indeed war is at its doorstep. It will be overrun soon. It's in the midst of this kind of conflict that Isaiah declares that there would be peace. But the peace would not come until the real issue was settled. And the book of Isaiah spells out what those issues are. But the real issue, when you boil it all down, when you weave it down, when you move it from the level of nations and communities and families, the real issue is at the level of the human heart. The problem is not out there, friends. The problem is right here. It's in me and it's in you. The problem is our self-centeredness, our self-righteousness, our self-absorption. Isaiah will later say toward the end of his prophecies in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. Everyone say, my way. That's how the Bible defines sin. And that's how the Bible defines the heart of the matter. That's what destroys peace. See, when I want my way and when you want your way, we have a problem. And unless we're willing to compromise, well then, sparks are going to fly. Unless we're willing to compromise for the sake of love, for the sake of relationship, for the sake of one another, then war will result whether it's personal war, the war of words that can so easily damage and destroy the hearts of those around us, or the corporate kind of wars that go on that destroy nations and devastate history itself. This clash of agendas, 
It plays out all day, every day, in countless lives, in relationships all over the world. It, it affects every one of us, every single one of us, and it goes all the way back in the book to the very first family. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 says, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And why? Well, because he wanted his own way. He was jealous and he was angry. And he didn't like the way the circumstances of life were going for him at that point. And then when God has the audacity to show up and ask him, hey, where's your brother? His response is, am I my brother's keeper? Which is code for, I got to look out for me. I don't have time to look out for him. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and our desires. But the thing is, I don't just want my way when it comes to you. Oh, too often I want my way when it comes to God. And of course, that means then that there is conflict between the Lord of the universe and little old me. And in fact, that is our natural condition. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says that in our natural state, right, our condition, the human mind is enmity. Literally, it's a word that means at war with, in hostility with, hatred against God. Like, come on, Paul, that's a little strong, isn't it? Paul wrote Romans. My mind is not hatefulness to God. He says, your mind not only is hatefulness to God, but it will not submit to God's law, and neither can it do so. At the core of the human heart is an impulse that says, no one tells me what to do. Of this condition, Tim Keller writes, culture and training can go a long way toward teaching us to hide that deep instinct within, even from ourselves. We want to be seen by others as cooperative, as a team player, as a kind and loving person. We want to see ourselves that way too. There are many reasons why it is necessary for us to live in denial as to how powerful this instinct is. However, no amount of education or therapy can remove it. We are sunk. But God, Isaiah promises that God, that God will be the one to bring about peace. That there will be a time not only when there is peace, but there is no more war, no more conflict, no more. In our text in verse 3, it says this, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore." Now, our version is the ESV, the one that I just read that's in your bulletins and on the screens. And it, it's a great version in lots of ways, but sometimes 
they strip out the poetry, and that's always a bummer when they do that, because the imagery of the nations going up to the mountain of the Lord is actually, it says literally, the nations shall flow up to the mountain of the Lord, and it's the imagery of water. But if you think about it, it's backwards. That's why they took it out. I think they were too literal about things. Because they thought to themselves, well, water doesn't flow up a mountain, and that's the point. Nations will flow up to the mountain of the Lord. People will flow up to the mountain of the Lord, not because we do it, but because God enables it. It's a supernatural picture that God will make it possible for us to do the opposite of our nature that he will not only allow us to do the opposite of our nature, but he will actually change our nature. And we will flow. We will flood in to the house of the Lord. And what we will find there is we will find him, the Messiah, God himself. It's a supernatural picture of God's grace And that's what we desperately, desperately, desperately need, my friends, if I've said nothing else to you in the last 20 years. I hope to God you've heard me say it is about grace. You cannot, but He can. You will not, but He will. You don't want to, but He does. And if you'll respond to grace when the Spirit of God is present like He's present right now, and He's taking the Word of God, and He's bringing conviction to your hearts, and He's reminding you of the evidence of your life, if you will respond to the grace that He offers, He pours it out freely upon you. He allows you to come into His presence. He allows you to be made new, be washed clean, be restored. Because this is the heart of God for you. This is how much He loves you. But it has to be received. You don't have it in yourself, and neither do I, to establish the peace of God, to bring about an end to the hostilities with Him or with anyone else apart from His abounding grace. Can I get an amen from somebody? So what do we do? What should you do today? Well, do what the Bible advises. Respond. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart and go back to the way it was. Go back to how you came in. No, respond to his grace. Let the conviction of the word of God get you out of your denial and repent. Verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Friends, we've got to get honest with God and ourselves. We've got to allow him to penetrate the carefully constructed mirages that we've built up in our lives to protect ourselves from ourselves and the people around us and from God himself. We must repent And when we repent, we we must repent. We must turn back to him. Please hear this. Not simply for what God can give you, but that God wants to give you himself. And I'll tell you, in 20 years of being in this place, I have watched countless people walk away from the Lord. And why? 
Well, because when they prayed for happiness, he didn't give it to them. When they asked for a new job, they didn't get it. When they wanted the new house, God seemed not to be answering. When God wasn't answering the prayers, they said, I'm out of here. I don't really believe this faith stuff doesn't work. No, those people were just gold diggers. Wanting God for what he can do. Success, happiness, job, career, getting into the right college, the best grades, number one. going to heaven, or at least not going to hell. God says, I want to give you myself. Stop running to your idols. Stop running to religion. Stop running to the things that cannot fill your heart. And run to me, says the Lord. Confess your own inability to make peace with him. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do what Johann von Stoppitz counseled Martin Luther. Look to the wounds You want to learn the ways of the Lord? Then learn the ways of the Lord from the wounds of the Lord. You know, Advent is a season of, it's a weird season because it's both celebratory. He's come and he's coming and it's also penitential. Oh God, have mercy. John the Baptist is going to tell us pretty soon, repent, I might as well get there early. (laughs) Turn to the wounds of Jesus. What does that mean? Is that just flowery religious language? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It's reality. Will you please build some time into your Advent season? It'd be great if it were every day, but at least somewhere. And look at the wounds. Well, Chris, that sounds awfully Lenten. Yeah, I know. That's okay. I cheat sometimes. What do I mean by look at the wounds? I mean, put yourself in a place of quiet and solitude where you're not going to be disturbed, where you can think. And it won't happen in your car because you're going to need to close your eyes at some point. Unless you're parked. And ask God to show you the cross and see if you can see in your mind's eye Jesus on the cross and see if you can see in your mind's eye the eyes of Jesus on the cross and then ask Him for His peace. But ask Him for Himself. And ask him for his his forgiveness and his mercy because that's who he is. Jesus, I need you, not just what you can give me. And what you'll discover is he not only gives you himself, but he gives you all the things your heart needs like peace and forgiveness and mercy and an ability to walk through hard situations that aren't going your way, that are, are chaotic and disruptive and confusing, and terrifying. And he'll be with you in the midst of them. Look to the wounds of Jesus. And what you will hear there, I promise you, is the very words that Jesus said on the first Easter. Think about the first thing he said. Peace. 
be with you. No matter what the shame, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the addiction, no matter what the sin, no matter, no matter what, if you come to the wounds, he will give you the peace. That's the only way peace will ever happen on the earth. It's through the God who gives and then the people who carry what he gives to the world around us. Please be those people. Let's pray. Lord, 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 you're good. And we thank you that even in the discomfort, you're here to set us free. Lord, you're saying you have cancer, I must remove it. You need a new heart. You need a, you need a cleansing deep within. And so, Lord, our answer and our response is, oh, have mercy upon us, for we are sinners in need of your grace. Jesus, make us new. We pray in your name. Amen.